0: Welcome to the Sermon B-Side podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of the Liberty B-Side podcast. My name is Steve King. Alongside me is Matt Leloyan. Matt, happy Monday. Hey, happy Monday, Happy Monday. Welcome to another week. Yeah, it's... We said this before, I think, on the podcast. Okay,
0: uh, the smell of Purina dog food in the air—ah, uh, strong. It's always strong, strong on Monday morning. The factory in Mechanicsburg's back up online yep. after a weekend, and <laughs> I get out of my car, and it's like, mm, smells like church. It was like, smells that, like a
1: new week. It was like that, though, on I think Friday, because Friday came in, and uh, I mean, I normally do, but like I came in on. Well, I was home Friday with Claire because she was sick, okay, and so I actually brought her. To, to church with me in the morning to get some things done. Sure, and she got. She said, "Why does it smell like dog food?" So Friday was also rich. It was rich in the air. So
0: apparently it's just yeah weekdays. It's yes. not just Mondays. Yeah, for whatever reason I associate I, it, it with Monday mornings. Maybe it is. It's just uh, it, everyone, it's, when people you, have their rituals, man. Like they get up, they get their coffee. <laughs> We're like, we get up, we drive over to church. <laughs> we smell the dog food. <laughs> just really gets us. Can't
1: gets us race, in the zone for, the for the a new week. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope you're in the zone today, man. Oh, man. Okay. What a segue. segue. What a segue. That's why I'm here. I uh, hope you're in the zone because we got some questions today on the podcast. Not, um, not, not some, Steve. I think this might we, tie or surpass the record. I didn't for most, count the exact number. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11. It ties. Wait, was 11 Oh, the most? wait. Did we have nine? I no, it was nine. 99 was a record. Let's so this wait, might be a record. Record setting day. week. 11 right, questions. Which means we got to get into it. Let's do it. Okay. So. Matt, give us the you preached yesterday, First Kings 18. Yep. Give us the 90 second summary on 1 Kings 18, and what you preached through. Well, I can just say God wins. God wins. There's, there's my nine second summary. Okay, good job. No, so I yeah, so
0: 1 Kings 18, it's um one children's book put it this way. They called it the God Contest. Yep. Which I love that that title, but it really is uh, the big showdown of Yahweh versus Baal embedded within that there's actually three other layers of conflict there's Elijah versus Ahab the king of Israel yep there's Elijah versus uh Israel uh the people of Israel Uh, and many of them are there to observe this contest on Mount Carmel there's also then Elijah versus the prophets of Baal uh all of which then build to the actual contest which is Yahweh versus Baal who who is the the one true God yep and so we looked at each of those four layers of conflict um, I was drawing out from that a critical question about faith in the one true God. So um, so Elijah and Ahab is the why question. Why does the trouble come upon Israel? Uh, why has trouble come? Uh, the Elijah and Israel conflict was the when question or how long, we could say. Like, wh- how long will you waver between and limp, go limping between two different opinions? Yep. Elijah versus the prophets of Baal was the how question. How does the God who is there hear us and respond to us? Talking about the difference of the way the prophets of Baal interact, try to interact with Baal, and how Elijah interacts with Yahweh, uh, and then the last question, uh, uh, Yahweh versus Baal, was the the who question. Who, right. who yep. is the one true God?
1: Why, when, how, who? That's it. There it is. And
0: these four layers of conflict seem to each point to one of those kind of cre- key questions there. So that uh, was a
1: great way to walk through it. I enjoyed I enjoyed the way you outlined that um, in the sermon overall. So let's get into these questions. Yeah. So, uh, first questioner, three separate questions. The okay. first one, kind of a quick reference, but give some context for why the question is being asked. Sure. The passage in Thessalonians that you cited, why did you cite it? It was 1 Thessalonians 5. Yep. But why did you cite, uh, cite it in the sermon?
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> especially in kind of contrasting how Elijah interacts with Ahab versus the people of Israel. Yeah. Or Elijah interacts with the prophets of Baal versus how he interacts with Israel. Um, he doesn't use the same tone and approach with all, with everybody. He he doesn't, he doesn't do everything with everybody the same exact way. So he's much harsher. He's commanding and directive to Ahab and to the prophets of Baal. He even mocks the prophets of Baal, which we got some questions about that. We'll come back to. Yep. Um, with Israel, he's very still bold and direct, but it's got much more of a, of a pleading heart behind it. And he, it says he comes near to them or he asks them to come near to him. Yep. And it's it's not this sense of like standing off at a distance and condemning them. It's it's saying it's stepping in close and saying how long are you going to waver between this guys? Like yeah. one of these is God and one of these is not. Choose and follow the one that's actually God. And he's he's pleading with them, he's reasoning with them. So that made me think of this passage. It's it's in as you said, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and it's in verses uh, 14 and th- 14, uh, 1st Thessalonians five fourteen, and it's the apostle Paul writing there. And he says, we urge you brothers, speaking to the leaders of the church there in Thessalonica, uh, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Yeah. And I think that's, we could, we mm-hmm. could unpack from a lot of texts in scripture that we should interact with people, um, using discernment to see what, you know, as best we, best we can tell where, where are they? And how to, and how should we interact with them in light of where they are? Yeah. So someone who is idle, someone who is being lazy, someone who is being defiant in some way, you would, you would treat differently than someone who's just weary or weak. And you, you'd give different kinds of, um, counsel to them, give different kinds of practical
1: help to them. Yep.
0: Um, so
1: that's where that came from. That's great. Okay. So next question for this questionnaire. Okay. And we're going to get a couple questions here around, um, yeah, how Elijah treats the, the prophets of Baal, yep. the, the slaughter of them at the end. So here, let's dive in as that starts. Why was the slaughter of the 450 Baal prophets the end result? What is the significance? Why did Israel choose the sword over mercy? How do we reconcile violence done in the name of God? So a couple of, this, you know, not an easy... Just a small question. Small question, right? So yeah. maybe focus in on first, like, what, what's the significance? Why do the prophets of Baal have to die? Maybe yeah. right. Yeah,
0: and I and I would say too we we operate here in First Kings eighteen with with the thought that Elijah has been hearing more from Yahweh than than we get than we get to see in the text of First Kings. So like that that Elijah and 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 God sure yeah. like God is speaking to Elijah through Elijah, and that there's some of that dialogue that that plays out. It's here unrecorded. That, that we don't us. have yeah right, written yep. down. So. We're, we're operating with an assumption that Elijah here is, is carrying out what, what the desire and design of God would be for right. this particular moment. Right. And therefore, and this is true for a lot of texts in Scripture, particularly Old Testament uh, texts in Scripture, that things we read there um, are in, written down for our instruction. We learn a lot from them. Uh, but they're not to be prescriptive. So we wouldn't look at this and go, yeah, people who are idolaters, people who, like, should, like, should you, Steve, now go and go find, like, a, you know, a Muslim cleric or mm-hmm. a Buddhist cleric or, and just, like, start killing them because they are, uh, because they are idolaters. Sure. And I would say, no, you should not do that. Right. Um, so we shouldn't take this and automatically read a, a prescriptive command that, like, we, sh- or, or an example to follow out of it. But, um, I think, and you see this throughout, the Old Testament and you also see it again in the book of Revelation mm-hmm. um so it's not just a, a god of the Old Testament you know some people try to juxtapose and set up like well hey the god of the Old Testament's violent and angry and wrathful the god of the New Testament's a god of love and mercy and, and really it's it's one god right there's only one god right and so a lot of what we see even in, in texts like like this foreshadow the judgment day uh the the judgment day of the world the day that the day that God judges the world in righteousness um and so this seems to be a, a, a glimpse of that, an anticipation of that, where in this moment, these prophets that were not just participating in idolatry, but were entrenched in it and leading other people into it, God was eradicating. He was trying to, to eradicate the idolatry from the people, to purify the people from their idolatry. Yeah. And so not only winning that contest, but also... Completely eradicating those who were bringing the idolatry to Israel. Mm-hmm. He, that it's it's a it's a real action. It's real people, um, but it is also um, a statement about the idolatry itself and yeah. getting rid of the idolatry, the Baal worship, from from there. Yeah. So it's it's definitely um, definitely not something that we just in any given moment go. Well, should we kill someone or should we not? Um, th- this this seemed to be a, a specific moment. And clearly it was like, we don't do a God contest every day, every week. We don't have like a standing once a year. We get up on a mountain somewhere and we say, okay, you know, which God is going to answer by fire. Right. So this was a unique moment in Israel and the outcome of it was something that God was directing Elijah to
1: to do. And there's other unique moments like this throughout the old Testament that we see the conquest of Canaan, the escape from the Exodus from Egypt. There's other of these destructions that occur. They're not meant to be prescriptive for us. That's right. Right. That's right. Um, the last question this person asked was, faithlessness is nothing new, and it seems that recent current generations are living in a drought of faithlessness. Like a spiritual famine. Spiritual famine, yep. You talked about that last week, yep. right? And so are we due for a revival is the question. Hmm. Where are we seeing the redemption of God's people today? Hmm. That's really
0: a great question. I love even
1: the, the hope
0: and the heart Yeah, um, in that question. Um, are we due for a revival? I, you know, it's... it's um I think it's always right to to be hopeful and to pray for revival. Uh, I think the way that the that the Spirit of God moves in the world and in in and through different different pockets of so in, in cultures and society, we we I don't know if we could ever say we're due for one. Sure, and people make those claims a lot and say, "Well, it's been so many years since we've had one; we're due for one." Um, I think that in all moments of life, there are there are revivals being, being had. There are people being transferred from the the domain of darkness, the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Jesus. Like I think there's, there are, there's revival playing out in this way, meaning maybe like a more broad, widespread revival. um, I think you're seeing that in in other places in the world. Yep. Uh, I think you've seen that in some, uh, some countries where Christianity has been persecuted. I was just listening to um, a podcast recently about Christians in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And then also they reference some Kurdish Christians in Iraq and
1: how mm-hmm. there's been
0: unbelievable revival. Yeah, in Iraq. Growth. The
1: Iraq, the church in Iraq has been... It's like exploded yes. in growth. Yep,
0: that's right. And all these people are, you know, many of them, most of them Muslim background believers, uh, you know, have come to faith in Christ and, you know, have come through faith in Christ through <clears> all kinds of things. Dreams, visions, uh, other Christians sharing the gospel with them. There is still persecution there. So I think there is globally always... Pockets of revival playing yeah. out. Um, that's where maybe we're seeing it today. I think maybe what we're more looking for, or not looking for, because we're hoping for revival in our in our nation too. We love to see that come in our and even in central Pennsylvania. Um, more maybe what seems to be happening is what I would call the the pruning, um, mm. where it's any pressure for someone to claim to be a follower of Jesus, um, any pressure that used to exist just culturally societally that people would say like, Hey, you know, well, you're a good upstanding person. So surely you must be some person of faith. Mm -hmm. I think that pressure is all but gone now. I think, I think, I think that's not an expectation, um, of, of our, of our culture, actually fascinating kind of like anecdote for this. Right. Um, I think this was Tim Keller who referenced this. He said, you know, um, even 50 years ago, well, 60 or 75 years ago, um, there was a uh, a guy who emigrated from England to the United States. Uh, who's the business guru guy? Peter Drucker. Sure. Yeah. Peter Drucker. Right. Wrote yeah. a bunch of books on yeah. business. It was yeah. Peter Drucker. So, yeah. however long ago that was, decades, Peter, ago. Decades, decades ago, decades and
1: decades ago. Yeah.
0: So Peter Drucker came over to the to the United States somewhere in, in the Northeast. I think Boston area. I think he was teaching Harvard eventually. Mm-hmm. So he came yeah. up to Boston, and. Uh, even when he came, which is not that long not ago, not that long ago, yeah, uh, he he was asked um, in his his applying for a loan uh, through the bank. He was asked whether he attended a you know what church or synagogue he attended, and it was kind of kind of okay. this kind of this like you could never ask that today. Sure, kind of this baseline assumption that like oh hey you can't app- and nobody would even think to and no I'm one sure, would think yeah. to, but you're applying for a loan. Um, and so the bank wants to know, like, well, to be a person of integrity, you're going to certainly be a person of faith in either the Jewish faith or the Christian faith. Interesting, yeah. Um, and so we just don't live in a society like that anymore. Right. Like, that's not right. a – there's no external pressure that you need to say you believe something unless you actually believe it. Sure. So I think that the, the – maybe not so much revival as um, purification yeah. of of the church where people that don't actually believe in the claims of Jesus – but have considered themselves Christians are increasingly saying, well, actually I'm really nothing. I don't really yeah. believe anything. Yeah.
1: And culture is demanding that of them. You I, talked about this yeah. a little bit in the sermon yesterday too. Yeah. It's, it's, the, there's this irony. It's like people, is looking at Christians saying, you're the reason right. why there's all the, all the trouble in the world. Right. And we're like that Christians absolutely are not the reason why there's trouble. Yeah, that's world, that's right?
0: contentious. I actually yeah. thought we'd maybe get more questions about that. We didn't get okay. questions about that. No, we didn't get any questions yeah. about that. But anyway, this yeah, so th- these are this is a great question here though. Yeah. I think I would say, um, and this is a challenge to me as I say it, pray for revival. Mm-hmm. I, I've sometimes had that thought like, would we would we actually be ready mm. for that kind of persecution, thing to happen?
1: Yeah. Well, for, oh, persecution, you mean for, for for revival to happen. Yeah. But oh, even okay.
0: like just even in like the something that we would all, I think if we said, you know, what would you hope revival happens? I think we'd all say sure would we actually be ready for it to happen? Like, would we just be ready to receive people that have just completely like Mm. no background in faith? People are just kind of like, you know, coming and repenting of all kinds of things that, you know, normal and decent people don't do quote unquote, right? Like, and would we, would we be ready to just welcome and receive people if there was just a a really
1: powerful widespread act of the spirit of God in our own, in our own backyard? Yeah, that's good. All right, next question here. Different questioners. so let's move in. Okay, well, different questions here. So, um, do you have any more thoughts? So, we'll go back to those four hundred fifty prophets of Baal and their destruction. Yep. Um, were they singled out for punishment because they were leading the people astray? Ahab was not killed here, and neither were the people worshiping Baal, or at least as much as we know. Other people worshiping Baal who weren't prophets weren't killed. That's in right. This moment. That's right. So, what do we do with that?
0: I think yeah, the, the question that doesn't ever get answered, at least as far as I from where I sit in scripture uh, in looking at scripture is why does, why does Ahab get the chance to repent later in his life? Sure. He's just as much at fault for embracing idolatry and leading the people into it. He gets it. He lives on from this moment. He's not put to death. Um, And he repents later in life. Uh, Ahab's or uh, Baal's prophets, the 450 prophets don't get that chance. Right. The end of the contest comes, they're rounded up and they're put to death. And so um, I don't know that there's a good answer specifically <laughs> as to why. I think maybe you could bring in a little bit of this idea that even though the the ten tribes in the north of Israel broke away from the two southern tribes in the south, yep. there still was, and you even see this with, like, David and Saul. Like, David had the chance to kill Saul even when he had been rejected by God, even when David knew he was going to be the next king, mm-hmm. even when Saul had committed idolatry, had, you know, had... had, had um, Worked with a necromancer, like a spiritual, like a, yep. uh, a spiritual guru, to try to like channel the dead. Um, David could not and, and should have not have brought himself to kill Saul because he was still the Lord's anointed, and right. so like you got this idea that like God has still put King Ahab in place right. in his sovereignty as much as as much as he's provoking the Lord to eat to anger as we yep. read last week. So maybe there's something there to say like Ahab didn't die because he's still. I mean, I think you could say that, certainly in the sovereignty of God. He's still serving some purpose in, in in being alive and being the king in that moment. Yep. But from a human standpoint, from our standpoint, why he gets a chance to repent and the prophets don't is just a tough question. Yep. I do think what we're supposed to see in this is that God will not allow idolatry to go on forever. That's he right. will eradicate idolatry. He's not just concerned to wipe out Baal worship all idol worship. Yeah. And that's where this really is a, is an anticipation of the last day and he will not be mocked and he will not be mocked. And there is a, yeah. And that, and that in his new renewed and remade kingdom, there are no, uh, there are no idols. Right. And there are no, no idolaters. Right. And so it's a, it's an intense and permanent consequence for these prophets of Baal. Yeah. Um, we're meant to be, um, disturbed by it in the, in that way. Yep. Um, but I would see, first and foremost, a, a glimpse and anticipation of how, how God is, how committed God is to
1: eradicate idolatry and sin from the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our right, next question here. Could Baal have done what was being asked of him? So to expand on this, should we understand Baal as a non-existent entity made up by humans to fulfill a human desire to worship? So they truly made him up? Mm-hmm. Um, or should we understand Baal as a being within the spiritual realm who may have been given authority over a particular domain, and ergo, first ever ergo usage in a question. Is it the first I, one? I, I, I can't imagine. Wow, re- have we read that before? Okay. And ergo, could have exerted his power to do what was being asked of him, apart from the apparent intervention of Yahweh God stopping him from doing so. Yeah. So, just first That's question, a great like question. Well, what, was Baal restrained by God, yeah. or is Baal because he's really a spiritual entity, or yep. is he just completely made up?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I would say that that and I'm trying to think of any examples that come up in 1 Kings or 2 Kings or um really any of the biblical references to Baal. But I would imagine that Baal that there that there were demonic forces that that were behind and presented themselves as Baal and some of these other gods that were worshipped in the ancient near east yes. and continue to be worshipped today. I Correct. think there are totally agree. unseen realities. There you know, our, our 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 battle is not primarily against flesh and blood, it's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's, that's Ephesians right. 6. That's the that's the unseen reality that's always present. And so I would say um that there would have been to this person's question uh that Baal would have um power Spiritual power, demonic power—that he was able to to use and act. Yep. I think in this particular moment, to to show just how complete and how how completely superior and dominant Yahweh is to Baal, there was nothing from Baal. That's it wasn't right. it yeah. wasn't like, hey, this is close. Oh, which yeah. way is it going to go? It's an arm, you know, like <laughs> it wasn't great. Stallone in the final scene of over the top, the arm wrestling. Yeah. what a reference. <laughs> okay, <laughs> wow. I've always been waiting to get it. Uh,
1: Apparently, over the top Stallone references. It's <laughs> great.
0: You know, like it, it's not an arm wrestle. Yeah. Like oh, which no photo finish. Win? Yeah, it's so stark a contrast. Yeah, no one answered. No one paid attention. Right. There was no void. Like That's it's right. just nothing. So, and, right. and, so when I and maybe that was confusing the way I said it yesterday. When I said bail is nothing. Yeah, meaning like comparatively to Yahweh. Like it's not even, even the last battle that, you know, we're pointing toward revelation and seeing yeah. kind of the last battle there. Yeah. That last battle is like, Jesus shows up and it's over. It's over. <laughs> it's that's like, right. It's, it's over. That's like, like, right. right. It's not this like epic, you know, right. it's not this epic movie scene that drags on for hours and like, Correct. Oh, it's like going this way and now it's going this way. And it's going to come close. Like yeah. Jesus rolls in and like in it's five over five seconds, it's like the battle's over. It's over. And that's I right. think that's, that's another glimpse of, of what we see. Um, yeah. You
1: know. So, and, and so it's, in that in that realization, though, the prophets expected an answer. They did, right? They expected an answer, and we could it, it would it's not really far fetched to believe that at other times they received answers. Mm-hmm. You know, and yep. so those that are worshiping demonic forces do receive answers. Yeah, they do receive the things that they want or the things that they think they need, whether that's power or money or fame or sex or yep. whatever it may be to this day I think that continues people do receive from Satan yeah. that which they're after yep and it just it shows the stark contrast between yeah. it's not it's not like there's God and then everyone else is being fooled by themselves they're mm-hmm. they are being led astray in mm-hmm. destruction by Satan himself yep. and his demonic forces that's right and so these prophets expected an answer like they probably received at other times yep, for sure. in their worship of Baal but there is, and so to that's the, a,
0: that's a great point
1: in the question. It's like the apparent intervention of Yahweh God from stopping. Yes, absolutely. Intervention was God put a stop to that. Just, and just like the demons yep. shriek in seeing Jesus in the new Testament. If there is a demonic force at work in Baal in this moment, they are shuttered and shut down and complete fear yep. from God showing up. Yeah.
0: They, which they is awesome. Are, they really are nothing compared to nothing.
1: Yahweh. Right. It's it's that
0: it's that stark of a contrast. There's a and that's a great point that you made there, Steve. There's a I think this is Thomas Merton. There's a uh, I can't remember who wrote this precious remedies against Satan's devices. And and the author in in that uh, little book talks about um, how Satan will bait the hook with whatever it is. That is appealing to us. Yeah. And so for them in their society, it was maybe like, well, so Baal is the god of rain and yes, fertility sure. and life. Yep. And like, right. so they need rain every season or they're not going to eat. And they're going to, so like <clears throat> in many cultures that, especially in our, even in our world today, they're like third world. Those are still the, those are still the things that people most need. That's right. Um, in our society, like nobody worships a rain god, but you know, very few people worship a rain god in like 21st <laughs> century North America because... Right we're not really concerned about drought. No. Like we're not really we concerned water about in our homes. Food. Yeah. We have water in our homes. And, yeah. but we do worship sex. We do worship power. We yeah. do worship comfort. We do. So like we do worship safety. We were like, there's all these other things yeah. that we do worship. And I think there's every reason to believe that there's Satan, Satan's devices baiting the hook for us to, to, to bite onto it when yeah. underneath it, it's drawing us down into, into death into That's hell. Right. <laughs> um, through that so debating so the, the hook in that moment the demonic force of mind I think there was something to that
1: yeah next question aside same questioner here aside from illustrating the seriousness of sin is there any application that should be drawn from the killing of the prophets of Baal is there any parallel to how we should treat stridently idolatrous voices in our current societies just a little bit more digging in on that like what yeah. do we do with that today yeah
0: um, we've already said don't don't kill them so that's
1: I don't think if this person's asking that Or please write that down <laughs>
0: to make sure we're on the record with clarity saying um that's not what we're advocating for i think you see the seriousness of sin and idolatry and i do think here's the parallel i think you're not going to be the instrument of the eradication of their idolatry but you do you do start to view them as someone that you would long to see in the kingdom of god and not and not the object of god's judgment yeah um if you if you actually look at them and see, oh, this idolatry is that serious. Yeah. And that means for them on that day of God's judgment of the world, that means the lake of fire and the second death for them. Yeah. If they don't turn from that. Yeah. And I think that gives an urgency to the way we interact with them. So there's still compassion. Um, there's still it's conversational interaction with people. But but it brings maybe an urgency and a boldness to it. When you look at people in light of eternity, when mm-hmm. you look at people in light of in light of the reality that God does eradicate all idols and idolaters in the end. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the, I think that's maybe the takeaway there. Like, yeah, don't, we don't, we don't become, um, we don't become the instrument of that judgment of God in any way close to the same way that Elijah does here with mm-hmm. the prophets of Baal. Yeah. So don't take that upon yourself and even that's, you know, a lot of scripture talks about like leave it to God to to bring the justice and the vindication. This is a moment where he's doing that in time and space through his people, through his prophet, yep. so that we actually see that this is how, how God works. Um, that this is it that God is not just he's not soft on sin, he's not soft on idolatry. He really he really is serious when he says that this is an offense and a corruption and a perversion of his good order and design. Yep. But I think maybe that's the takeaway here to that question is. Um we should because we do not want them to be the object of God's judgment the way the prophets of Baal were, mm-hmm. we we interact with some urgency and some seriousness with with those who are um stridently idolatrous right.
1: in our society. Right. It's good. Next question. I appreciate the encouragement that idolatry is the real problem and not the Christian message itself. Talked about that yesterday. Yep. yep. Um and at the same time. Do you have any advice for speaking compassionately to Christians who have been hurt by churches or non-Christians who have experienced harshness from Christians? For example, I think the church is still recovering from incorrect Christian views on race and still learning to respond to the LGBTQ plus community. How do we respond faithfully to legitimate criticism and share truth with love in our cultural moment? It's a big question.
0: Yeah, that is. And it's a great question.
1: Yeah. And it really does get into... um,
0: yeah, the, the, the rubber meets the road of, like, talking to real people in real life about this. So, yeah, I would say, and we got into this, maybe just touched on it for a moment yesterday, but I think it's disingenuous and we lose any any integrity that we have if we don't, w- like, rightfully acknowledge that Christians have, have done horrible things. Christians have done things that are not consistent with the design of God. Sure. We We have far from a perfect record, and I think to say, even for example that you know it, it's it's both of these things Christians both um, in many ways, there were many Christians responsible for the trafficking of of human beings mm-hmm. uh, in slavery so in the slave true. trade and that we said that was completely wrong and the, and the Christians that participated in that that was inconsistent with their profession of faith that should not have happened. I think we also say that the tools to and and, and the motivation in the heart to, Emancipate slaves to put an end to the slave trade also came from the Christian view of the world, mm-hmm. and the, and so that's complicated. And so I think we go into that and we say it wasn't actual Christian faithfulness that created that specific trouble for the world. That, sure. that horrific, horrific thing in the world. It was our own um, um, faulty uh, application. Or, or complete miss of like what God's purposes and design for the world were, um, but the actual, the actual truth of the gospel, actual Christian faithfulness of seeing all people as created in the image of God, um, not idolizing one type of people over another, mm-hmm. uh, one one skin color, one ethnicity, whatever. That actually was the faithful expression of of Christianity, and that was actually what brought good to the world. Mm-hmm. That was actually what what actually um, became the um, the road to to rectifying a horrible evil like that was there. So I think you can you can get into the complexity of that, own the stuff that needs to be owned and not try to diminish that or pretend that isn't true. Yeah. Um but also um remind, you know in, encourage people that the the faithfulness to the design of God is actually objectively good for the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're always trying to pursue that. We're always trying to we're always trying to with clarity um Pursue, yeah. pursue that, and with that out.
1: Yeah, and I'd encourage this person to draw, draw, invite questions, ask some questions to draw out mm-hmm. um, where where there is a supposed inconsistency, because mm-hmm. there there are inconsistencies that can be found for sure. You're talking; you've right. already talked about some of them. Um, but when we're trying to learn to respond to certain to other perspectives, I think we need to also ask questions to draw out where there, what the other perspectives are. Mm-hmm. And to recognize, so like we had, we need to know this as Christians. Mm-hmm. So we need to know how to respond to what we hear from others. But we also need to know there are no there are no compromises sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. And so the world oftentimes wants the Christian message to be compromised. Mm-hmm. Hey, I like so much of what Jesus said. I also want to like hold on to the stuff that I think is right. And there's this like there's this like mm-hmm. watered down yeah. relativistic Christianity that comes into play, and we as Christians need to still hold firm to. When you take the Christian message to its ultimate end, that's what's best for people mm-hmm. And so if along that way, we change it to just let people hold on to what they want in a certain area, mm-hmm. that's not the Christian message. sure. and and, right. and, and, all, and sometimes that can that cannot just be this like, you know, this subtle shift from the Christian message. It could be like antithetical, yeah. To God's created order, to like what he desires for people, what he, call, what he calls good. Yeah. And so if that's the case, we have to just be willing to, we need to like be able to compassionately, kindly mm-hmm. speak to that as well. Yeah. Um, not condemn, not be quick to condemn. Yeah. You know, be patient with them all. Yep, Right. But also know what truth is. Yeah. Um, because it is, it is serious still.
0: Well, and that's where trying to call people to, so this person zooming into the real life, how do we talk to people about it? Which is right. I think zooming back, like, are we actually confident that God's design for the world is the good and right design is the best mm, way sure, for people right. to yep. live. Right. If we're not convinced of that, we're, we're going to, if we're not actually convinced of that, then we're going to get into these conversations and we're going to be really insecure. Yeah. And we're going to be both defensive in some moments and lash back at people. And yep. we're going to also be swayed to some of the, the, like the arguments for that. So I think to have that deep confidence of like, who's bringing trouble upon the world. well, when I'm an idolater, when I'm faithless, I am. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Right.
1: <laughs> and when anyone else
0: is abandoning the commandments of God, rejecting the design of God, they are. Yeah. You know, we bring trouble upon the world when we sin. But God's design is good. Like deep confidence in that, that that kind of security that you have, if you actually believe that deeply,
1: mm-hmm.
0: allows you to take <clears throat> all kinds of vitriol from people. Yeah. And 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 not get defensive and not react and respond like. Yeah, we, there's a whole sidetrack I could go there, but but that that confidence I think is so essential to go. This is actually good for the world. It's actually good for this person. I can take whatever yeah. anger, vitriol they've got in this moment, and I can re- still respond with compassion and say, I understand why that that would be really hard f- for you in this moment to like be able to embrace. Right. And I'm happy to keep talking to you about it. Yep. But I would also say like, I can't not I can't give up the conviction I have on this because I actually think it's it's terrible for for you and for other people right. for me to say that that it's that, that actually the way you're just you're wanting to live or the way you're describing something here is, is good Yep, when it's not yep well put
1: all right next question the use of the word limp stands out to me the message is used in reference to the limping between two beliefs and then later the prophets of Baal limp about the altar can you give us any insight into the use of this particular word It is not one I recall seeing much in scripture
0: yeah, uh it is the same word in the original language. So as this questioner was rightfully saying, um when Elijah confronts uh Israel, the people of Israel it says, "How long will you limp uh, but go limping between two different opinions?" That's 1st mm-hmm. Kings 18 verse 21. Uh and then later when the uh prophets of Baal are um you know doing their thing, doing their rituals, uh verse 26, they limped around the altar that they had made. So it is the same word. I think I think the main thing to take from that is, and I talked about this just in passing. There's so much in this, right? So I just talked about this in passing yesterday. The prophets of Baal are entrenched and brazen in their idolatry. They're mm-hmm. leading people into idolatry. They're all in on Baal. Yep. The people are limping between opinions. They're wavering between opinions. I think that's where, when I was saying that Israel's not as neutral as they first seem, that's I think the main takeaway to, to see the, in the parallel between these two words of limping like so the prophets might be more brazenly idolatrous, the people might be a little more indecisive but at the end of the day um, they're both idolatrous they're yeah. both limping, they're yeah. both um, so I think that's that's where even like the author of First Kings, the person who's you know, compiling all of these accounts throughout this 400 year history including this 80 year history of Elijah and Elisha is saying there's some connection here between the way that the people were were functioning in the way the prophets were functioning, mm-hmm. even if it didn't exactly look the same on the outside. What's
1: the, yeah? You know, what's the, why that word then? Is it, is the connotation that it's like, it's, um, it's, it's like weakness, but you're still trying to like parade it as a possibility. It's like when you limp through something, it's like, I can still do it, but it's like, you yeah. obviously are completely well, weak in your frame. It's kind of like the
0: accusation that gets made against Christians too, which is that religion is a crutch. Hmm. So like it's like so it's that and some of the imagery and even one of the translations for this passage, if I'm remembering right from from my study of this week or two ago, was that one way you could translate that is like how long will you will you go leaning on two crutches sure like back and forth between one crutch and the other crutch? It's like basically pick the pick the thing you're gonna stand on. Um, so the limp that was that was some of the imagery there too. It's like that they're limping along they're mm-hmm. they're not actually. Um, they're not actually walking with confidence or standing anywhere with confidence. They're limping. Sure. And the prophets of Baal, certainly after they've tried for multiple hours, nothing's yeah. happened. Dude they're the also, same. their confidence is taken a shot. They're, they're wavering.
1: They're limping. Yep. They're just double They just, they just doubled down on the act, the frenzy, the ritual. It's good. All right. Next question. Were the prophets of Baal Israelites or non Israelites? Yeah.
0: Great question. We, yeah. I would imagine that at least some number of them were non-Israelites that were, that came with Jezebel from Sidon, which sure. is outside of Israel. Yep. Uh, she was from there. It was, a, it was a political marriage, an arranged marriage between uh, King Ahab's father and the king of Sidon. Um, they married their kids off to kind of, you know, this happens, still happens today, but often happened in the ancient world um, of... Uh, we won't um, go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> still happens today. I guess I don't have anything in mind particular there, but sure. We can imagine yeah. it still happens. Today. Yeah. yeah. All right, sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so I would imagine... A number of the prophets of Baal were non-Israelites that came with Jezebel yep. from Sidon. Totally possible in my mind that some of the prophets are also Israelites that have, if the king had departed from Yahweh and was worshiping Baal, it's very easy to imagine other people sure. yep. that had different kind of you know prophetic or
1: priestly kind of roles would have also done the same thing. Yep. All right, so Matt gave you, gave some generic examples of cultural idols that could be common in Christians as well. Money, power, sex. Could you discuss what idols you see in Liberty Church or in suburban Christians? I have young kids, and we, want, and we just purchased our first home. So it's easy to see things like our kids' education, their extracurriculars, our home, privacy, turning into idols. And I fear that because uh, these are socially acceptable idols in Christian circles, no one will call us out on them if they become true idols. It's easy for us as believers to judge that Bale statue in the, our non-believing neighbor's yard while bowing to our golden calf image of the true God. Man,
0: that's a great image. I'm calling this person up for analogies from. from there Jesus it is. That was awesome. Like we bet, yeah. Like bowing to to judge the Baal statue in our non-believing neighbor's yard while bowing to our golden calf. That's man. That's good. It's a good line. I like that. Um, and great question too. So I think these are some of the ones that are appealing to us. That um, I do think. I do think money. Um, by virtue of the fact that, that we are at Liberty Church and, and a lot of suburban Christians tend to be upwardly mobile and highly educated and have the ability to earn an income that mm-hmm. the that, that middle and upper middle class and up uh, make, I think that there's a, a um, money itself is not evil. Money itself can do incredible things, can be used to see the kingdom of God flourish and thrive and can be used generously and sacrificially. But that subtle line between who is our master? Like, yep. are we using money in service of God? Are we using God in service of money? I think that's subtle yeah. and sneaky. So I think that's a big one to always pay attention to. I do think, um, yeah, I do think the, the idol of, uh, comfort and ease, uh, suburbs are built for that. Um, that's the whole reason suburbs exist in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. It's like the city is too hard and crowded. I can't find a place to park. I don't like being congested (laughs) with all these, like, let's move to a place where we all have space and we can all, you know, so I think like the, the ease and comfort and the like things happen at my pace all the time, whenever I want them. I can interact with my neighbors when I want to, and I can drive into my garage and shut my garage door and never talk to anybody when I don't want to. Um, I can close myself off from all the suffering of the world around me. I have a carport. Doesn't count then. Doesn't count. I can get real private with my car. I didn't know though. you lived in the city, Steve. I didn't, know you, I didn't know you were. I didn't know you were an urban Camp Hill guy. I am. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, I th- you know, I think I think this person's got a lot of them um, right there. You know, um, how do we? So how do we know uh,
1: when it becomes an idol?
0: Yeah, I think good things become ultimate things. Hmm. Um, there, there's a way to in, to everything can be received w- from the hand of God with thanksgiving. Paul yeah. writes about that sure. in First Timothy. Maybe. Um, everything can be received and be, be a cause to celebrate and rejoice in God. That's different from, um, devoting ourselves to something, being so committed to whether it's like, you know, you can make an idol of your kids, mm-hmm. you can make an idol mm-hmm. of your family. Um, I think that's a, also an accusation that gets unfairly leveled at Christians sometimes when they're just trying to do family discipleship. Well, sure. And that's where there's complexity to these yeah. conversations. Like what, yeah. so you're asking the right question. And I think to always be living with an open heart and an open hand before God saying everything God that I have, you've given me, I'm receiving all that you've given me as a gift from your hand, but I'm also not, I'm not allowing the thing that you've given me, the gift to replace the giver. I'm not allowing even a good thing to become an ultimate thing. I think for most people who are followers of Jesus, that's the sneaky way that idolatry creeps into our lives. It's not like we all of a sudden start to go, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to like have completely separate life that I'm devoted to some other thing. Um It's, it's this, it's that subtle, like we take good things and make them ultimate things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's good. All right. Final question. Wow. We, okay. Here final we go. Let's question. do it. We're going to do it. Um, Elijah's mockery of Baal's prophets. Is that an example for Christians to follow or not? Meaning today? Yeah. So like Elijah,
0: right? He, we didn't even get to really like unpack that. We didn't line. talk about
1: that much. No, but he like gets after him. He gets yeah. on him. He's like,
0: maybe he's on a vacation. Maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's yeah. yeah. Uh, which is you know funny. It's like we laugh. So um, is that an example for Christians to follow or not? I would say the general principle is not. Um, so again, there's, there's a, this is a unique and powerful display moment of the work of God through God's prophet through his mouthpiece, and he is, um, you know, and he is in that moment pointing out the futility of idolatry. He's eradicating idolat God is eradicating through Elijah idolatry in this moment, um, and he is pointing out the futility of idolatry that idols. Um, we read it in the words of encouragement yesterday. Chip lead liturgy read it in words of encouragement that idols, you know, they they. They see nothing. They hear nothing. There's no Mm -hmm. breath in their lungs. And those who worship them become like them. And so Elijah, particularly you think about this is not just Elijah and the prophets of Baal, like having a, a a closed room conversation, but like some huge number of Israel is is watching this. Like this is like the people of God looking in and going, okay, we've said that this is a good contest. We're going to, we're going to go with the results of this one. Sure. He's wanting to, to point out in a, in a, in a poignant way in that moment, um, do you see the futility of this, everybody? Do you see how how yes. silly and dumb yeah. it is to worship a god? He's making
1: a point. He's making
0: yeah. a point, yeah. and I think he's doing it less to the prophets of Baal and more for the benefit of the people mm-hmm. of Israel that that should know better. Yeah, <laughs> and and really exposing the futility of idolatry. So, you,
1: so less, you know, you talked about yesterday and certainly the it was less like Elijah destroys yes. prophets of Baal. Yeah, he did. He did, but it was like his his. Maybe his intent wasn't as much of that as it was to show the futility of Baal. That's right. Yeah.
0: And th- and I think that's an important principle because you've got, right, like... Um, I, now, I do think um, where some principles apply is that I think if there are people, and there are people in our time and place that are entrenched and brazen in their idolatry, yeah, I think you talk differently to them and you yeah. engage differently with them. Yeah. Agreed. Then you engage with people who are wavering between different opinions, people who are wrestling with doubt, people who are asking questions but are not sure where they land on certain things. I think you engage differently with people. Right. So I think you do, from a principle standpoint, can, can lean into conversations with people that are entrenched in their idolatry and find ways to expose maybe the futility of, of their idolatry. Yeah. Now I think, um, the mocking part, because you have, you have the example of Jesus uh, who spoke very harshly and directly to teachers of the law and Pharisees. Yeah. But I'm trying to remember an instance where Jesus mocked them, um, and called us to like follow in his example, doing that. I'm not thinking of any off the top of my head. And then I'm thinking more explicitly of Paul talking about how you correct opponents, uh, with gentleness in the Mm -hmm. hopes that they would repent themselves. I think that's in second Timothy two, as we're reading it recently in the, like the new Testament plan that we're, that we're going through. Um, the Lord, here we go. Second Timothy 2, 24. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And here's why. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Mm-hmm. Now think about a thing that applies more to than someone that's entrenched in idolatry. They've been captured by the snare of the devil, captured by him to do his will, but they may yet come to their senses and escape. Uh, God may perhaps grant them repentance. And so our role, don't be quarrelsome, be kind, teach, patiently endure evil, uh, correct opponents, but correct them with gentleness. Yep. I think that's the, the primary directives given to the people of God, Christians, especially in light of the work of Jesus in the new covenant, is be gentle, be kind, mm-hmm. be patient, be bold, be confident, Yeah, but be but not mocking people. M- mocking would not fit anywhere in that grid in 2 yeah. Timothy 2. Yeah,
1: and it's not, it's, um, I mean, okay, well, first, the, the thought that came to mind, the quote that came to mind, I just want to mm-hmm. make sure I had the words correctly. Um, we must be ruthless with ideas, but gentle with people. That's a great, right? That's a great, um, yeah, differentiation. Robert Sirico. Um, not familiar with that. Catholic priest from, one, neither am I, I just know you yes. said it. He's okay, a Catholic priest from many years ago. Yeah, that's right. Um, I always loved that quote, I remembered it. Um, what's that once again we must be ruthless with ideas yep but gentle with people great yep. right so i think that 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 came to mind just Ex- to talk expose about
0: the idolatry yep. for what it is right but remember that almost always the 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 idolatry has a,
1: a mouthpiece that is a, that is an image bearer of god yep and then what's challenging just the complexity in that is like well, we find ourselves in moments where like yeah there could be a person who's representing an idea and they are it's not like they're just like, well, I have this idea you know? and we're like, oh, hey, can we just help you see your idea is foolish? And they're like, oh, thanks for telling me. It's like yep. they, they get entrenched. And so how do we, you know, we need to combat, be, ah, do we need to be combative? I don't know if I want to use that word, but I do think we need to be combative with the idea. The idea. Yeah. But like if if we walk away going, not only did I destroy the idea, but I made that person yep, not like if and when they would have their eyes open to the truth. Yep. Have I put them to so much shame that they wouldn't actually go back to the church and go, Hey, you guys were right. Yeah. You know, like I, I, there's, a, there's something, it's hard to consider how we do that in the moment. Yeah. I just think we need to have that view in mind. Yep. And yet I also can be someone when I look around and see in culture and there's people I go, man, they are putting forth an idea that is destructive to children, to families, yeah. to society. I can be prone to go, that person is the problem. Mm-hmm. And in some ways they are, mm-hmm. but in mostly they're not. Like it's the idea that's consumed them. They're blind to the truth. Yeah. And so I want to be ruthless with the idea. I want to be gentle with the person. But man, yeah. it can be really hard sometimes to not think of that person, the idea as one and the same. That's a that's
0: a really just, you know, that's just,
1: a that's well put. Um, there's a great example that, that came to mind
0: recently. I'm trying to remember her name. She's, she's the head of, is it live action? She was on Dr. Phil,
1: Lila Rose, Lila Rose on, yep, Dr. She Phil was on Dr. Phil last week. Yeah. Last week. Yeah. Very recently. Yep. Um, a great, I, I think a great example. You're there's right a great about. example yeah. of this, right? right? Yep. So she's,
0: she's in a hostile environment. Yep. Um, People do not line up with, with her understanding of life beginning at conception and abortion on demand being actually objectively a bad thing. You know, yep, right. so It's one of these examples of like people saying, you're the troubler of the world. Like right. Your view and your Christians and your perspective on this, your organization is bringing trouble upon the world. And she's very calm yeah. and gracious in her interactions. She doesn't get fired up in those moments. She doesn't turn to mocking or... Or but she man, she
1: knows her stuff. Even some audience members though were mocking her. They were like, they were just on her. And yeah. she just takes it
0: yeah. and <clears throat> and knows her stuff and speaks and she's like, actually, I'm I'm not the trouble of the world. Mm-hmm. Your view is troubling the world. It's actually objectively bad. Like, do you, like the one the one example I can think of off the top of my head is do you know what do you actually know what a woman who has had an abortion experiences emotionally? Do you know what mm-hmm. do you know how hard it is for her to like cope with life and recover from that? The average woman who has an abortion. It has, it's immense trauma mentally, emotionally in in her life. Um, and she just speaks, you know, actually like, actually your view is actually troubling the world, not not mine. Yeah. Um, and so she's gentle with people. She's ruthless with ideas. She knew her stuff. She wasn't just talking about platitudes or cliches. It was like, so that's just an example of like, I think that's a great way of interacting, holding the line, going after the idea, exposing the futility, um, but treating people gently.
1: Yeah, it's good. Hey, full slate of questions. We we walked through them under 50 minutes. If you stayed with us this long, thanks so much. This is meant to be a great resource for just continued reflection on the sermons, setting us up well for discussions and Bible studies. Uh, So thanks for listening along with us. If there are questions that you have related to what we said, send them in. Or certainly every Sunday, send them to myself or Matt uh, via email or find us. Get the question to us. We record these about 10, 1030 on Monday morning, so we need the questions by then. Uh, but Matt thanks for walking through all this thanks for preaching yesterday this is a full episode yeah any last words
0: no uh, it's fun to get into this yeah I feel like we're off and running in this series now and it's bringing up some great stuff so lean into that in your Bible study groups hope you have great discussion this week you have probably way too much content to dive into between the Bible study guide and all the questions that were asked here but I hope it leads to just great um, continued fruitful conversation for you good
1: connections with the group yeah bye everyone thanks for joining yeah see you soon bye
0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources, information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.